0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host, Dave Elliott, and this week I'm chatting with Barry Robinson, the production designer on the much-anticipated TV adaptation of Snowpiercer. Set more than seven years after the world has become a frozen wasteland, Snowpiercer centres on the remnants of humanity who inhabit a giant perpetually moving train that circles the globe. Class warfare, social injustice, and the politics of survival play out in this new TV adaptation. Barry is a highly experienced production designer who has mainly been working in features up until this point, but decided to take on the challenge of a new TV series. I previously interviewed Barry for his amazing work on the film Hacksaw Ridge. You can go back and listen to that show. Uh, It was fascinating, the amount of stuff that he did for that. His other work can be seen in movies such as Pitch Perfect, X-Men Origins Wolverine, and The Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, amongst many, many other films. In the interview, Barry talks about how he went back to the graphic novel to shape the creation of the stylistic elements in this post-apocalyptic world, and how the train moves from dark to light as you head through the different social-economic classes. This led to having the cars move from the windowless tailies end of the train up to the bright and opulent first class cars which were shown through the large windows and copper finish. He also points out in the interview a number of really interesting little tidbits and bits and pieces to look out for as you're going to, through watching the series. The show launched May 17th on TNT in the US and 25th of May on Netflix in the UK if you want to go and catch it. For all our previous interview podcasts along with the weekly tv film and gaming show geek town radio just search click and subscribe to geek town radio in your podcast app you can also head over to geektown.co.uk for the podcast and all the latest entertainment news and tv premiere date information here's the interview with barry it's that time of the year
1: your vacation is coming up How are you doing? We haven't talked in a while. I think it was Hapsaw Ridge. Yeah, it It was was.
0: January 2017, I think it was. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. I've done two interviews today, and both people are people that I'd interviewed before. Last time I interviewed them was 2017 for some bizarre reason.
1: Oh, that is so funny. There it goes. I mean, that shows you the cycle of the projects for people. Yeah. From the time I did Hacksaw Ridge, I had three aborted movies. Wow. Yeah. Very strange. Very strange times indeed. But that's for another story. I'll tell you all about it. another time
0: yeah because i was looking at your imdb and noticed you kind of got hacksaw ridge you'd done a few episodes of good girls and then snowpiercer and nothing in between so i thought there may be something had gone up. but uh...
1: yeah you know well it was really interesting there was uh, a european project that went off the rails and two chinese co-productions wow and i mean just amazing it's just been a very weird time and uh, i did good girls from my friend, Dean Paraso. Right. Um, you know, he called me and I said, okay, well, so I did that. But, uh, you know, I haven't done really any kind of series work before. You know, when I got the call to do Snowpiercer from my agents, they said, it's a difficult thing. They've had an issue with a designer who had right. to leave the project. And would you be willing to jump in and help them out? And, you know, because I knew Snowpiercer from Bong uh, Joon-ho's yeah. uh, feature film. Yeah. I just loved it. And so I read the script, you know, the Bible basically. Mm. You know, and it was a completely reimagining of the story. So I started to do a little research and was really following much more closely to the graphic novel, which really intrigued me. So I called the agents and I said, yep, I'm willing to do it. And within 24 hours, I was up in Vancouver with a five-week prep to do to get that show up and running. So that was a very, very big deal for me. I mean, it was very hard and uh, very challenging. You know, I had to go in there really strong and I did. And And I was able to write the ship very, very quickly, along with my supervising art director, Tom Wilkins. We just had a blast. I've got to tell you. We just had so much fun. And Graham Manson and James Howe, the uh, showrunner and then the director, were just incredible. Along with TNT and Tomorrow Studios, they really supported me. And, you know, it was interesting because I used the same group of artists that I've been working with for years out of Sydney, Australia. Right. And I had a very, very kind of a real shorthand with them. So I was able to say to Ev or Gerhard, hey, here's what I need. And then they could turn it around in a very short amount of time. And they did some amazing work amazing work so yeah and then i just had the i had a terrific crew up in vancouver they were just amazing uh my construction paint and plaster and metal work were just amazing so
0: yeah so as you mentioned you know they had issue with with uh, the yeah, the designer that was on before i mean it it's been through kind of a lot of development hell getting onto this onto screen this <laughs> Yeah. But Graham Manson was in place as the showrunner when you got involved, was he? Correct. Right. Okay. So it was filmed up in Vancouver, was it? Yeah, it was all done up in
1: Vancouver. And I think that most people would know that we never left the four sound stages that we had. Everything was shot on stage. Wow. Never left. Never left the studio from the time I arrived there in August all the way through December, we never left the stage. It was very intensive amount of work, and uh, you know we did some blue screen work, but most of everything was in camera, which wow. most people didn't know. And if you were looking at it, you wouldn't know either. Of course, we had set extensions when we needed them, but for the most part, it was all it was old school. So,
0: where did you start to look for inspiration for the design of things? Because I mean, it's a bizarre thing to get involved with anyway, because of the fact that it, you know, it's a train the entire thing i mean it's a very different sort of train but it is a train that you're dealing with and then you've got the movie to work with you've got the graphic novel as well mm-hmm. what, what well let, you me,
1: um, at? Um, um, let me let ex- me let me explain the process that i went through so i flew up to vancouver i landed on the ground had a meeting with the creatives and walked the sound stages to see where they were at and they had a lot of leftovers weird scenery to be honest with you from the pilot right. and So it had all been stored in one place. So it was off to the side and everybody's going, no, we don't want to deal with any of that. And we're at with the design was all they had were the basic structure of the train cars, which were modified semi-trailers. Right. Everything was on wheels so that and very clever, I must say, everything was 10 feet wide and 40 feet long. (laughs) The limitations were a challenge for any designer. And I'm thrilled to have done it, and I'll tell you why. Because it was an interesting challenge of putting a lot of information into a narrow and long space. So it was really an abstract challenge. So, for example, of course, I went right back to the graphic novel for inspiration. Right. Um, TNT and Tomorrow Studios. And then, of course, Graham agreed, along with James, that they didn't want it to be slavishly copying the movie. It wanted its own identity. Yeah. So that was freeing for me. It was really freeing for me. What I did was look at the graphic novel and see what Loeb and Rochette had done and The first thing that I noticed is that they were very, very strong visual images. They were really robust. And I really felt that that's... What was needed throughout the different classes from the tailies all the way through first class. So we started in the tail. We really got the textures and the grittiness and all of that working very, very early on. And I must say that James was really instrumental in agreeing that the texture of the walls really needed to be something. So we did a lot of samples, we did a lot of color testing, and you wouldn't know because it all looks very dark and black and blah 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 how rich that the the metal textures were there and working with my scenic artists up there we were looking for a very robust design and uh, we really got it once we got into sit the third class cars we started introducing elements of train design without it being sort of typical what we did with each of the different classes All working within the framework of narrow and long, we started adding in design elements and then changing the color palette. So in third class, it's again robust, but the color palette is muted and pushed down. So we're, you know, sort of in those mungy, dusty greens and Mm -hmm. browns and beiges. And then we get into second class, we begin to bring in different materials, wood and metal, second class up and then to first, which is very luxurious and high-end finishes. The one thing that uh, TNT and Tomorrow didn't want us to go too sci-fi with the look of the first class in particular, and then into the engine. And so what they were asking us to do is to not go into chrome. Don't use chrome. And I thought, oh, interesting. Okay. So, you know, I came back to them and said, you know, I'd like to use copper, you know, and Mm. they said, well, why do you want to use copper? And I said, well, because copper can be morphed into a number of different finishes whether it be high 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 polish or into verdigris, or all the way into black so everybody thought that that was interesting let's give it a shot see what we think blah 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 and it also played into my idea of what the robust machine-like quality of this train would be so rather than it being chrome and all that sort of jazz it's sort of a much more 20th century mechanical feel to it. Copper
0: to me, sort of almost seems like a, a steampunk aesthetic to it. Is there an element of that maybe? You know what? We try to drift away
1: from steampunk because, I mean, the moment you go into steampunk, you're dealing with something completely phantasmagorical. Yeah. And what I really wanted was reality. I was really, and and I know, James wanted it. I know Graham wanted it. I know the studio really were holding our feet to the fire. And Graham and James in particular were always wanting the reality. Yeah. Go back to reality. Don't let's not steer. This was only a year into our future. Little did we know we'd be living in this <laughs> pandemic now. Yeah. <laughs> However, that's what we were thinking. So we were using technology. That we knew today without mm. going too far right yeah you know i
0: tried to stay
1: away from this steampunk as much as i possibly could
0: so you're dealing with obviously the the construction on the inside of the train and then sort of the rear trains kind of a this windowless sort of dark area and then kind of mm-hmm. gets lighter as you get through it correct how do they deal with kind of the stuff that's through the windows is that all blue screen stuff that's put on afterwards if you see landscape moving that 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 is CG. Yeah.
1: But a a lot of times, because, you know, CG can be expensive, we, again... Just would put a either blue or white bounce, and then the effects department would be blowing snow by the window. So, again, it just depended what was important at the moment, what James wanted to see out those windows. But a lot of times, what you're seeing out those windows is something that was just, as I said, old fashioned effects work. Mm. And we had a brilliant effects team on this show, just really amazing, good stuff. They made the cars move. We were able to move those cars, not just bouncing up and down. But if you notice in the tail section, when doors are opened, you'll see the the shift of the cars. You know, we were able able to open doors between the different uh, sound stages and allow for lateral movement back and forth. So we were able to stack four or five cars deep into the two stages and then make them all move, which was really so cool to watch, I must say. It was wow. really amazing.
0: Yeah, that's quite phenomenal feat of engineering. For... <laughs> yeah, Yeah, I must say that uh, we
1: all were working so hard and, and together. You know, and Dave, just to go back to one thing about the design elements that I was playing with, we were on cars, you know, on trailers that were 10 feet wide. We overhung them by a foot on either side. So we were at 12 to accommodate the scenery, mm. you know, in the thickness of walls, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there were two times when I broke that rule. And one was in the night car. Right. Uh, the night car is a, a nightclub. And I really felt that it was important to trick the audience into believing that we stayed within the footprint of the train. But I had this idea of these Circular elements within the car. And those were back from 19th century restaurant design. They're called chambre separate. And in them, you could close them down and anything could happen in them. Right. Whether you ever you could have illicit conversations between gangsters or you could have illicit. Relationships right. going on, and so those circular elements were very, very cool. I worked with my decorating department, and they were just curtains. We <laughs> we never you know, physically we never left the 12 foot footprint, but in those semicircular areas, they could be shut down, and anything could happen. Right. So that was really cool, you know. And then there was one other element that we didn't go outside the footprint width-wise but it went high. And that was an area called the Chains. And the Chains was an interesting, it was my idea. I had to really sell this to everyone. There was a lot of nervousness about it. But the Snowpiercer is a train that's 1,001 cars long. It's 10 miles. And so I went to Graham and James and I said, listen, you know, over the period of time, foodstuffs, are going to be used up and those cars are going to become empty until you replenish them. And my sense was the young people on the train are wanting to get away and wanting their own space and creating their own space. So the chains became that. They were almost like container cars. Right. Were now empty. And the artists and the young people we were able to get a blowtorch out, cut a hole, put a door, make a ladder. And so all of a sudden, it became this war of spaces. <laughs> and that became the chains. And I had to cheat the height, but I kept the width. So it feels still very claustrophobic, but you get a sense of up and down. And it was challenging. That that was challenging, but uh, I think it was successful. And the directors that came in and directed different episodes really, really got into it. You know, I remember one director, Helen Schaefer, going, well, I don't understand it. (laughs) I don't really get this. And, you know, and then. Once she's got the actors in there and started moving around, she came to me and said, "I just love that space so. <laughs> it's good. Uh, But those are the two times where I really pushed it.
0: Yeah yeah are there any like little bits and pieces that you've added on into the set that you think people should look out for specifically in the show yes
1: i can definitely say yes there are when you go into the first class dining room to me that was a space that wilford the man that created the snow piercer and the mm-hmm. mysterious man running the train that's his domain and what i put into that set was a little different levels in different class levels within the first class and then i felt that one of the most luxurious elements you could have in there were living plants and or flowers So if you look in the glass enclosures, there's the Wilfred logo etched into each of them. (laughs) But within them, there are hothouse flowers, for example, in the early episodes. And those are orchids, which have got to be the ultimate luxury you could have on the train. And the other elements are the analog elements within the engine. And again, we brought in computerized elements, but we had to also make them very kludgy and add-on. And the train's been running around the world, you know, and things break down and things have got to be fixed. And so what you're looking at are elements that have been kludged together and added on. And that's why you see within the engine compartment, there's a food area, but there's also a work area where the guys can get in and work and fix things as they need to. So there's cables running everywhere and nothing is perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, I tried to keep everything loose so that over the time and, you know, especially with what I found out with the series versus a feature is things can grow and things change. Yeah. And that to me was exciting for a designer. You're not stuck within a 120. Period. You're working over 10 and 12 and 15 hours worth of material and over weeks and weeks and months and months, and things can change and things do change. And when Graham and his team are writing things and they come up with an idea, it's exciting it's always changing I loved it I must say I loved every minute of working on Snowpiercer so
0: it is coming back for a second season are are you doing the second season as well no I'm not and I was bummed
1: because when they started the second season I had taken an Amazon project called The Dark Tower oh yes and I was gutted because I really loved Snowpiercer but I was in Croatia on The Dark Tower and sadly The Dark Tower didn't get picked up by Amazon. Ah. So there's another. That's my fourth project <laughs> that just is out there in limbo. But I loved working on the Dark Tower. I've got to tell you, that was an amazing challenge as well. But that's for another time. Yeah. So if yeah. you ever want to yeah. just talk about projects that I've never <laughs> seen on a it. day, <laughs> it's so frustrating to me. So I
0: got the Dark Tower, did that,
1: but I did not
0: get well, to... I guess, yeah. But I, I guess you got to do, the initial fun bit which is kind of building the world in the first season so you know you got to do that I got to do that so now I'm hoping I get to do
1: another cool series or
0: something I'm just you
1: know I'm just waiting this pandemic has really put everything on hold yeah
0: well I mean there's enough interesting projects kicking around out there when things do start off again yeah okay
1: so I will let you go as always it's great talking to you and uh, I want you to stay safe wear a mask Wear gloves, all wash right. your hands, and be
0: safe. Yeah, same to you. It's always lovely to talk to you. Hopefully when all this is over we get to chat again sometime. Great. Bye bye. Guys. Bye. bye.